Economics can be seen as the study of trade-offs that individuals, institutions, and countries face when making decisions under resource and time constraints. Because health is just one component of what people may value, economic insights into various trade-offs and constraints can help inform public health policy. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Tiffany Green, an Assistant Professor in the Departments of Population Health Sciences and Obstetrics and Gynecology at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. As part of the journal series on the fundamentals of public health, Dr. Green has co-authored a perspective article about public health economics. Dr. Green, in your perspective article, you outline the case of a home health care worker with diabetes who is ultimately hospitalized with COVID-19. Could you describe the challenges and the trade-offs that this patient faced when it came to following public health recommendations, such as physical distancing guidelines? When Athena and I wrote this article, we were thinking about all of the patients he had seen, as well as some of the things that I had observed in my own life. And I'm not a clinician by training, Athena is, but I think what we saw is that people weren't paying attention to the trade-offs that many low-income Americans face. And that includes having to go to work. For example, the public health guidance was, okay, stay home and social distance. Well, if you are an essential worker, you can't stay home. You can't social distance, especially if you're on public transportation. So that's one thing that people aren't really thinking quite about. And so this burden, as we point out in the article, has just fallen upon uh, marginalized Americans, and it makes it harder for them to follow the guidance that we think is so obvious and so spot on. So to some extent, those are the structural costs and constraints. What about cognitive or psychological costs and constraints? How do those factors affect people's responses to public health recommendations and whether they adopt health-related behaviors? You won't be surprised to know that I think everything just about is structural, but at the end of the day, it all boils down to the individual, as my psychology collaborators will often tell me. And I think one of the things that makes this so hard is that the guidance is constantly changing. Now, we who work in science understand that that's how science works. It's an imperfect process, and we learn more and more as time goes on. But it's very hard for people to understand, okay, wear a mask, don't wear a mask. Now it's wear N95s or KN95s, or what kind of mask is going to be the best one for protection against COVID. That's really hard. And now the CDC has changed guidance about quarantining. Um, there's been arguments about whether that is science-based or rather whether it's a nod to people's constraints. That changing advice makes it very, very difficult for your average person to know how to best protect themselves and their family in the face of the structural constraints that you just mentioned. So in what ways has the public health response to COVID-19, and perhaps to other problems, overlooked the economic principles that influence behavior in this way? So I wanted to say that the article, we had space limits. One thing that is really important to understand here is that the public health response has been dominated by the perspective of epidemiology. Now, I think epidemiology obviously is critical. I think it's essential in attacking this pandemic, but other dimensions of public health, like health behavior and health policy, take a little bit more into account people's decision-making. As economists, Athena and I think a lot about constraints like poverty. How does poverty make it harder for you to social distance? How does racism make it harder for you to social distance in terms of the fact that we know that Black men are more likely to be stopped by police when they don't have masks on. 
But on the other side, they're also stopped when they do have masks on, right? So we see data on that. So how do people operate in the face of those constraints when we need us all to act collectively to stop this pandemic in its tracks? It's a really complicated thing. And I think as economists that we say with a little bit of an identity crisis that have our feet in both worlds, in public health and economics, this is a call for people to really think a little bit harder in terms of, no, you must do this behavior versus what are the constraints that prevent people from adopting the behaviors that are going to mitigate this pandemic? What does public health that's informed by these economic insights look like? We hope it looks like us. That feels a little bit arrogant, but people that understand both sides. For example, we understand the need to social distance, right? But economists would say, how can we make it easier for people to social distance? And some might disagree with us, but one of those things might be paid leave. You can't expect people not to provide for themselves or their families without providing them the means to be able to social distance. Now we're seeing the Biden administration, for example, sending out N95s to families, make it easy for them to mask, make it easy for them to get tests, not by getting insurance reimbursements, but just giving it to them in the first place. That just moves out the process and takes away some of those barriers to adopting the behaviors that we would like to see. As you say in your article, economic analysis of cases like the one of the home healthcare worker that you described illuminates the importance of policies that alleviate financial hardship and reduce structural constraints. How can those kinds of policies change the trade-offs that people face when they're making health-related decisions? Just as I said before, we're asking people to social distance without providing them the means to social distance, without providing them, say, paid time off. One of the things that we're seeing in terms of vaccine uptake is that vaccine hesitancy is really complex. This is not my particular area of expertise, but I wanted to highlight some of the work being done that suggests that some workers aren't getting vaccines, not because they don't trust the vaccine, but because they are worried that they will not have time off to be able to recuperate from the effects. When I got the vaccine, the second shot, I was pretty sick the next day. I was able to stay home, relax, and that was fine the next day. But if you don't have a job with the benefits that allows you to stay home, then of course you're going to be hesitant to take that vaccine. So the kinds of policies that we're talking about that provide paid time off, that provide people easy access to the vaccine and that time to recovery, things like that are going to be what we need to be able to get past this pandemic. Finally, you write that economic principles can also be applied to broader macro-level trade-offs in public health. So how should policymakers use economic models to better inform the optimal allocation of resources, improvement of health outcomes? When I used to teach Econ 10 way back in the day, we used to talk about something called comparative advantage. And one of the things that we talk about in the article is that health systems are starting to take over things that relate to the social determinants of health, like taking care of people's social needs. And we argue that public health has a comparative advantage in public health. It's not that clinicians shouldn't be engaged in public health, but we should be redirecting resources to public health so that the public health can do the things it does best, like contact tracing. I feel like we have all but given that up. And part of the reason is because our public health departments are so under-resourced. Public health and social workers play a key role in making sure that people that don't have 
the things that they need, people that are at risk for various conditions of poverty, houselessness, food insecurity. That has traditionally been the domain of social work and or public health. And it's really important to reallocate our resources there because they have the experience to be able to carry out those things more efficiently because they know what they're doing. Thank you, Dr. Green.